Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. John, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I love hearing your show. Thank you. Got what a can question. I do for you? I have, um, yeah, I bought a house and it's got like a semi cathedral seating, not quite, yeah. but um, it it makes like the wood like cracks at night or it makes like a cracking noise sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is that okay, or is that something I need to uh, take a uh, take 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 uh, bring somebody to, to look at it? No, it shouldn't be anything to worry about. Uh, what happens is building materials expand and contract with temperature changes. And so at night, uh, you know, your your materials are probably changing size a little bit and it slides on the nails a little bit and creaks and cracks. You probably have it in the morning as well as the sun comes up and just you just don't notice it, but it, it's happening at the same time. The thing is... When the sun goes down, we tend to cool off a lot faster than we heat up the next morning. So it's a slower process during the day, and the creaking and cracking is further apart, so it's just not as noticeable. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what what I'm noticing. Night is different than in the morning. Yep. Yeah, okay, no, well, don't lose any help. sleep over it. You'll be just fine. Michael, how are you today? Good, yourself? Oh, I'm doing just fine. How can I help you? Well, I have a house that's 20 years old, and on the east side, it's the foundation where it meets the ground. It was designed. It's just a real steep slope, and the soil is washed off, and after a while, I had, can I mention companies over the air? Absolutely. I had Silver Creek come out and just dumped a bunch and put gravel, and well, smart me, it just washed away again, so... I'm too old to get out there with a shovel, but if you have some company or contractor that would, I guess, bring in whatever the right mixture is and maybe grade it, uh, it's shade, so I, I know once the ground there, if you get some shrubs or something, that'll help hold, but I'm I'm sort of confused. and How, how steep, a, how, ste- how big a slope do we have here? Well, at the edge, it's already uh, worn down to where you see the foundation line below yeah. the brick. And uh, if you were to go from there out three feet, it would go down a good mm, three and a half feet. Okay. Um, it's really, really steep. I don't know why. Well, it's kind of a builder's grade, I guess. Sure. But anyway. Michael, let me put you on hold for just a second, and I do have... I know who can help you out with this. I'll be right back to you. Okay, Michael, so you got a, a real slope next to the foundation, and it's it's getting down to where it's showing the bottom of the foundation. Now, yeah, I'm about to lose a bedroom there in the yeah. back when the brother-in-law comes over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Sorry. maybe you want to let that one go. <laughs> yeah, but, it's crossed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, there's typically a couple ways of addressing it. One is obviously to build up the slope further out so it doesn't keep washing off so easily. But if you don't have space to do that, the other is to just put a small retaining wall there. It doesn't have to come all the way up to the height of the house. It only has to come up high enough to reduce that slope a little bit. You know, typically if you've got more than a 45 degree slope, it's going to wash off no matter what you put on it. David, 
Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Thank you. My issue is I have a concrete patio in my backyard, and um, probably the house is 20 years old. And over the last couple of years, it's developed a big crack, and it started to sink in the middle. So every time it rains, I end up with a a muddy uh, pond back there that my my dog uh, goes through and brings into the back of my house. Yep. So now you got to figure out what you're going to do with it, right? Yep. Is there a way to, uh, without having, is, is my only option and best option to replace the concrete pad, or is there a way to get underneath there and lift it back up? The crack that you have, how wide is it? Yep. Um, I'm not looking at it right now. I'm not at home, but I'm going to say it's less than a quarter of an inch. Okay. If it's not a huge crack, then sometimes you can use urethane to inject underneath the concrete, pump it back up, and get rid of that bird bath that you're having. I will mm-hmm. tell you, though, a lot of times you're going to be very close to the cost of replacing the concrete when you do that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, if if that crack would have been a half inch wide, I would have said you're reinforcing shot. Uh, yeah, just replace it and be done with it. But typically if it's like an eighth inch crack or less, the reinforcing okay. still intact, and you can inject it and pump it up. So that that'll kind of give you your guide as far as what you got to go with. Okay. And if I decide I'm going to replace it, what uh, what should I estimate I uh, per square foot for the cost of replacement for concrete pad? Oh, for takeout replacement, and you know if you're using a reputable company that permits and all that kind of stuff, you're probably well, how big a concrete area is it? Oh, probably 12 by 8, 10 by 10, something like that. Okay, so you're going to talk a, a pretty minimal job then. Yeah. Uh, you're probably going to be looking at something 12 to 1,500. Okay, which would be more than uh, the, the urethane? That would uh, be probably a little more than the urethane, but just give you a, a rough idea. Your thing, you're yeah. probably looking at something in the neighborhood of seven to eight hundred. Okay, I like that better. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, well, I, I appreciate your uh, your help. Enjoy you the bet. Show. Thank you, sir. My contractor is insisting they can use a thick primer in place of the final skim coat on new drywall to establish a smooth level five finish on the walls and ceilings. Is that correct? It absolutely is correct. There are two ways of doing level five. One is to skim coat it with watered down um, sheetrock mortar. The other is actually a thick coat of primer that's specially made for doing that level five finish. And yes, they both will do it. The it, The larger area typically will dictate to use the primer method rather than the skim coat method. So it's going to depend on how big an area you're trying to do, but Absolutely, they are shooting straight with you on that. So, Martha, go ahead and let them take care of it. I think they've got you covered. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. This is from Ken in Kingwood. Losing electrical power to individual circuits without tripping any breakers while retaining power to others. Been experienced loss of power to specific circuit in home without tripping the breaker. Power will go off for a few minutes and then come back on. 
power to other circuits uninterrupted. What would cause this? Would appreciate an email response if at all possible. Well, again, when I answer it on the air like this, you will get an email response. You'll get a copy of what we talk about on this. But Ken, I got an idea. You got to cut wire somewhere. And, it, and you know, sometimes it's rodents chew through the wires and, and cut it. Other times it's just a, an area where for some reason the wire has broken into. Don't know the age of the home, but Kingwood, uh, you're probably looking at something that was built in, I'll bet, the 70s. In fact, you could have aluminum wire in, in some of those homes in the older sections of Kingwood. And just the uh, expansion contraction of the metal, if it's aluminum wiring, where the screws are, it can get loose and start arcing. And that could cause this. So there's a couple things that could cause it. Regardless, get an electrician out there and get this taken care of. Because this is not something that's going to go away by itself. And it is a short that could cause a fire. So I hope you get that taken care of right away, Ken. Jim in Fort Worth, how can I help you? Yes, I have a parent beam home built in 1955, and the vents around the base that let air uh, get under the house yeah. have screens on them that have a fine mesh, and they've started to develop holes. Yep. So I'm wondering... How do you replace it? It it looks like it's uh, concrete. It is. It's poured into the concrete. So you've got a, a, a couple choices here. One is you can go to the back side and just put screen across the back. And you're still going to see the holes from the ones that you got there on the front side. Uh, the other choice is to literally take those vents out and put new ones in a brick mason like uh, advantage masonry can do that for you and it, it it doesn't cost all that much to do it but honestly if you didn't do anything with it your third option is to literally just cut all the little screens out and just leave it open the, the whole purpose is is just to have air ventilation and those little holes aren't big enough that you're going to get you know, raccoons and stuff going underneath the house anyways. And a lot of houses have crawl spaces open completely. So, honestly, if it was my house, I'd cut the screens out so I didn't have to look at, you know, stuff that looks broken, and I would just leave them open. Well, what about bees? Bees could go underneath there. No no question about it. Yeah, my neighbor had a bee infestation, so I was worried that they might find their way in there yeah well and I, you know once one time on a house that i had when i lived in uh pearland texas down in the houston area uh i had a house that was only four years old and bees got into the wall through the siding i mean they they can get into places that even when we're trying to keep them out uh but honestly i wouldn't lose a lot of sleep over it okay all right well i appreciate it you bet, Jim. Take care. Sergio in Fort Worth. How can I help you? How are you doing, Jim? Hey, listen, uh, since we got a shelter in place, uh, I'm doing a patio. I'm extending my patio. Okay. So my my question is this. You know, just kind of researching it, and we have, you know, I have clay soil back there. How, you know, how thick, I'm, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to put, I will put a jacuzzi on top of it. How thick should the concrete be and the base you know, what am I looking at as far as the thickness of the base and the concrete? 
the concrete it only needs to be four inches thick. That's all. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can go thicker if you want, but that's a standard patio. That's standard for driveways and all kinds of things. So, and it'll handle that hot tub with no problem at all. I've got a hot tub sitting on on my patio right now. Uh, not sure? not an issue. I will tell you the one thing I do different on my concrete though. Uh-huh. Make sure you use rebar. Don't use wire rebar. mesh. A number okay. three rebar, 12-inch centers, makes a great reinforcing. And you use chairs to hold it up in the middle of the concrete. But around uh-huh. the edge, yeah, dig down into the ground a little bit further than that four inches so that as rains happen and soil washes, it doesn't just wash up underneath. So usually I try to go down at like about six inches. It only needs to be you know, three, four inches wide, but the whole purpose is just to keep running water from washing underneath that concrete. Oh, okay. So as far as the base, um, you know, how how thick should that be? Your base is just going to be the soil itself. You you don't have have to worry. No, you don't have to put a gravel base or any of that stuff. I don't. Oh, wow. Okay. So I (laughs) I already dug it by six six inches, so I'm okay with that. (laughs) <laughs> well, if you've already dug six inches out, really what you're going to want to do is put some some uh, soil back in there and pack it. you got to pack, pack it tight okay. because uh-huh. otherwise that soil is going to settle again and your patio right, right. Will, will move. So pack it tight. If you want to put a, a gravel base in there, you can, but it's not necessary. Not necessary? No. Oh, okay. Perfect. Uh, that was that was That was the only question that I had. Other than, uh, you know, that's so it just kind of dug too deep. Um, um, because I'm going to just go ahead and form it myself and then just say, sure. I can go ahead and I can contract somebody to come pour it and, you know, and finish yep. it off for me. Absolutely. Yep. That won't be a problem. Okay. Hey, Jim, I appreciate your help. You bet. And, Sergio, if you don't want to put yeah. dirt in there, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having six inch concrete either. Oh, okay. You can just fill it with yeah. concrete. You just got to pay a little more for the concrete. No big deal. Travis, let's try this again. How are you today? I am great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How can I help you? Yeah, I have an older house. It's pear and bean. And in the summertime, my house has a horribly musty smell. It doesn't have it in the in the winter when it's cooler. Does it have something to do with underneath the house, most likely, is what I'm thinking? Probably so. Uh, it, it can have to do with air conditioning as well, but... Uh, do you, I'm assuming you keep air conditioning on. Yes. Okay. It is central, it's central heating and air. Yeah, if we're keeping the central air and heat on, my guess is you probably don't have a good enough ventilation underneath the home, and therefore mm-hmm. you're getting some of the air that's coming inside. Uh, usually this can be addressed by just putting a uh, crawl space fan into one of the vents and sucking air out from under the home and what that does is it just pulls clean air in from the other side uh and takes all the musty smelling air out and takes care of those kind of issues okay. uh, especially if you're on a lake or something sometimes people will start closing off some of their vents and if you get the wind blowing in the right direction it pushes air under the home and if it doesn't have a, an area to escape it'll actually push it up into the home and that's where we start getting that musty smell okay okay and i've have had problems with um my neighbor built 
up next to me and ever since he built his property up, my backyard floods. And so uh-huh. we've put in a French drain, but I know that it has caused a lot of water to get up under the house. Yeah, that'll do it to it then. Okay, perfect. And I will definitely look into doing that. I appreciate the help. You bet. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Recently heard a popping in the living room. Turns out we have some hairline cracks in our floor tile. Also, when walking on them, we're hearing a crunching sound in approximately a 4 by 4 area. The house is 14 years old and never had any foundation problems. Any idea what's going on? Thanks. Well, yes, I do. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. Building materials expand and contract with temperature changes. Tile and concrete expand and contract at a different rate. And as floors age, that expansion and contraction sometimes breaks the bond between them loose. And so when you start walking on a a tile area where it's broken loose, you're going to hear that crunching sound because what you're hearing is actually the mortar bed that was used in order to adhere the two together, cracking and breaking underneath. It's already separated from the concrete, and usually it's still attached to the bottom of the tile, but it's just breaking into pieces underneath there. You will end up eventually putting in a new floor, or at the very least replacing those pieces of tile in the area that's come loose. So if you have some replacement tiles, you can do it that way, but if not, eventually... It will break up to the point where you're just going to have to put in a new floor. Got a message from Dan and Keller. Jim, please go into detail about having a plumber repair a slab leak by tunneling under the foundation. Thank you, Dan. Well, this is done a lot to repair leaks. And basically, the tunnels are dug three foot by three foot and however long it takes to go underneath. Now, we use these tunnels also for doing foundation repair. In fact, I really don't know anybody who was doing these tunnels before Due West was. We started it. Due West is my company. We started this back in the early 80s. Uh, We would do foundation repair, and sometimes people didn't want to break the front porch, so we'd do just a little what we called a notch. It'd be three, four, five, six feet back, and uh, it wasn't that big a deal. And we came across a lady who had just redone some hardwood floors in a house. They were gorgeous. She didn't want to break through it. And Dad said, well, we can tunnel it. So we had to figure out how we were going to tunnel it. He had done big tunnel jobs all his life uh, when he was working for another contractor. So we just took these little notches, these little tunnels we were doing, and just kept right on going. And that started the tunnel craze. The thing is, too many people do them and don't know what they're doing. One, you got to properly ventilate it. That is a confined space, and you got to be pumping fresh air in it. Two, it's impossible to fill it back the way it originally was. So you need to put underpinning under the foundation in order to hold the foundation, because if you don't, typically a year or two later, when the the tunnel has uh, settled in more, the foundation in that area starts dropping. And so by underpinning it at the same time you're doing the tunnel for the foundation repair, you take care of making sure that the foundation stays in good shape as well. And then you got to backfill it and close it up. 
any plumbing work you do in the tunnels, and I, right now I'm going to talk about the drain lines, any sanitary drain lines, better known as sewer lines. If they're being put in, they need to have hangers. And that's where they bolt it up to the bottom of the foundation and hang it down and strap it into with a clamp into or on around the pipe so that it holds the pipe from going up or down. Because when these tunnels are dug, that area, the soils are going to move a little bit and it can cause bellies in the line later. You can get bellies in the line even if you've never had a tunnel. But the 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 hangers just lock the pipe in place and keep it there at that same distance from the bottom of the foundation. And why is that so critical? Because you need that pipe flowing downhill in order to keep flowing properly and not back up later. So the the key things, one, make sure it's being ventilated. Two, make sure that they're underpinning it and supporting that foundation. And three, make sure they use hangers. Our company, we put hangers like every three to four feet, usually four feet. Depending on the project we're doing, we might sometimes cut a little bit less than that, but uh, you know, down to the three foot. But four foot is is pretty typical for us. So, hello, Rich. Hey, Jim, how have you been? I, uh, I, uh, if I could, I'd love to shotgun you two quick questions. And first of all, before that, I am the ultimate DIYer. And I love your show. Absolutely listen every week. And thank you so much for what you do. Uh, my first question has to do with a front door, a fiberglass front door that I either need to, to stain or paint. Need your opinion on that. And the second question is going to be more of a PSA, I think, for everybody. I'm curious about with all this virus crap that's going on, do we have to do anything at all with our AC uh, uh, filters, change them, clean them, do whatever? And uh, if, if you would, I'll hang on for your answer. Thank you. Okay. Well, with the front door, uh, you know, fiberglass paints actually very well. So you may want to look at doing that because it's really not going to do very well staining. It, it, it doesn't absorb very well. So I would paint it rather than stain it. When you buy them new, the colors that you see on it to make it look like wood is more or less not a paint on there, but it's not a stain either. It's just, it's just the color blend that they put into the fiberglass to give it that look. So paint it. As far as our AC systems, you know, you hear a lot of talk about the UV lights for killing germs and, and bacterias and things like that. And they are testing them right now for the coronavirus. None of the manufacturers want to come out and say, this will work on the coronavirus yet. Uh, but UV lights are used in air conditioning systems to take care of stuff like that. Uh, as, as far as your filters and stuff, absolutely keep them cleaned, keep them changed on the regular level like, like you're always supposed to. For every inch of thickness the filter is, that buys you a month. So if you got a four-inch pleated filter... You gotta change it every four months. If you got a one-inch filter, you change it every month. Thank you, Jim. Man, that means means the world to me. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care. Bye. And you know the UV lights—they do a lot, but nobody wants to come out yet and say it's going to take care of the the coronavirus. But I think we may hear that down the road. And 
please keep in mind there's a lot that goes into a UV light being able to do what it does. The airspeed, you know, how fast the air is going across it, and the intensity of the light because they do come in different strengths. And yes, they are using them in hospital rooms right now uh, where they, they send it in and do the whole room up in order to kill all the germs in the room. But that's an extremely intense one compared to what you would get in a air, normal air conditioning system. Uh, and yes, it is an add-on that you can have added to a system if you ever decide you want to. I have a two-year-old house, and it has tiny cracks in the corners where the wall and the ceiling meet. These are vaulted ceilings, has been fixed by the builder several times, and just noticed another hairline crack in the drywall corner about two inches long. What is your suggestion on this? Thanks. All right. First of all, if it's a two-year-old house, you need to get a benchmark set on this house. In other words, let's get a set of elevation readings so that from that date forward, you can measure how much the foundation may be moving. But the other thing is, you, you mentioned this is where the wall and the ceiling meets on a vaulted ceiling. Not all that uncommon for that area to get cracks, especially depending on how the framework of the structure was put together. Uh, you could be just actually getting even wind loads that can cause it to crack which gives you an indication that the framing wasn't done 100% the way it should be. You know, typically when we're getting sheetrock cracks, there's a couple things that'll cause it. One is movement, and whether that's foundation movement or structure movement or whatever's happening to cause that framework to move can also be an indication that the framework wasn't rigid enough to begin with. Because when you put sheetrock on it, that has no give. You get movement, it cracks. No structural strength at all there. So I would start by, first of all, let's look at it and take a, a set of elevation readings, have a benchmark. So from that day forward, you can measure it because most homes have a 10-year warranty on the foundation. But you don't want to have to argue with them whether it's moved or not. And if you got that benchmark, you don't have to argue You've already got readings to substantiate what's going on. You can call Due West Foundation Repair. We can come out and take a look at it and, and do those readings for you as well. But if they've been repeatedly repairing the cracks and there's not foundation movement, it's an indication that the framework of the home isn't rigid enough, rigid enough and so it's getting some shifting in it causing the problem that you're experiencing. As promised, let's head to Cecilia. How can I help you? Hi. Um, so I was calling because we are remodeling our home from Harvey still, and um, we've done some improvements like new roof, and a big thing is a new driveway. Um, but I happen to be an interior designer, but for you know your own home, you try to go a little bit more economical where you can. And so I, I love the look of a dark um, driveway, but we didn't do a uh, colored concrete. It's just your run-of-the-mill normal concrete. So I thought maybe I could stain it myself or paint it. And if you had any recommendations or what process to do to achieve that look. It can be stained uh, and, and colored that way. Um, 
definitely don't paint it. You're going to be driving cars on it and stuff when the, in the, when the heat starts hitting it and the hot tires get on it and stuff, a lot of times that will peel. And so you don't want to do that. Okay. But the uh, staining processes that are available nowadays, you know, that does soak down into the pores of the concrete. And it'll keep it looking good for a long time. But like anything else in the Texas sun, it does fade. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have to okay. you know, be be aware of that. But uh, the newer the concrete is, the better it will accept the mm-hmm. stain. So since you're saying you've okay. already got new concrete, uh, absolutely, you could take a look at that. Now, concrete okay. supply houses mm-hmm. are the ones who have concrete stains. Do not go to the box stores and get it. You you want to go to a regular commercial okay. type place. Um, okay. So go to go to a concrete supply house, or you can go to I believe. Uh, HD White Cap, HD Supply, okay. White Cap. They they merge together. I believe they carry it as well. Okay, and it's a, and you think it's an easy process for a DIYer? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's there's nothing hard about it. It's just you've got to make sure to follow the rules, and it is somewhat tedious doing it. But beyond that, no, it's it's something you can do easily yourself. The other thing, too, just if you know anything about it, is, you know, we have those expansion um, gaps, I guess. Yeah, and expansion a, joints. A piece uh-huh. of wood. Tr- yeah, and then there's a, a wood trim right. in some of them. And then in one area, our concrete um, or our driveway vendor guy did a plastic version. Um, he didn't use the same throughout that. the whole driveway? He didn't, no, and it's only in one area that he did do that, but I, mm. di- I didn't know if that, I, I assume that that's not going to accept the same that I want it to as the wood. No, it's wood. not. But can you, is that something easily removable? It really is going to depend. Uh, you know, if, okay. it, the, the whole purpose of those is to allow for the expansion and contraction of the concrete, and right. I don't know how wedged in that is. So there may be times where you can pop okay. it right out of there. Other times it won't. The other thing that happens is if your driveway has rebar in it, it may be going mm-hmm. through that plastic. Gotcha. And okay. so that doesn't mean you can't get it out, but it means you're going to be breaking it to get it out. Well, and then one last thing um, sure. somewhat related. We... um. So our home was built in, I guess, the 1960s. It's a memorial where Kikarillo, you know, built out. And um, the foundation from there, we had a room that we converted into a covered patio, basically. Um, And when it rains or anything, water doesn't come in through the sides, but Uh it's as if the the concrete is sweating. So there's puddles in that area and, right and so what i would like to do is just skim coat it with new concrete you know no more than an inch um but am i going to have the same issue or is there a problem with doing that and 
And I know with that little of a layer that I'll probably get cracks, but I'm not too worried about that aesthetically. Well, it won't just crack. It'll break off. Oh, uh, it will? Okay. Yeah. T- it, if you're going to cap concrete that way with concrete, mm-hmm. you have to go a minimum mm-hmm. of two inches. Okay. Uh, you could get away. You you want to put a, an inch on it? Yeah, well, I the reason why is I don't, everything else is already kind of set in the room. This room used to have tile in it. And, again, we were just trying to save money. Um, and then there was another, a breezeway in between this room and the, the home. Uh-huh. And the concrete guys who did our driveway just went into that breezeway. And uh, basically, they were trying to grade that area down but they started like at the very top of the of our door so there's like maybe a half an inch between the sill of the door to the concrete gotcha and and then where this room is now like there's just no wiggle room to add any more than than that or you're gonna have like a ridge in between the two areas yep yep or something or a step well I wouldn't even call it a step. They yeah, make so they do make floor levelers, which is more of a polymer okay. than it is concrete that could go over the top, mm-hmm. and you can do okay. those in in a half and three quarters and and stuff like that. Uh, go buy floor and decor, okay. and they they have some of those floor levelers you could take a look at. Oh, okay, great. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your help. You bet. Take care. This comes from Tom, and he says, My daughter's front yard has a builder-installed tree that over the last 12 years became enormous. Taller than the house, it's just a single-story house, he says. Limbs touching overhang house, roots everywhere, and the foliage is so dense it has killed the grass. Is a root barrier and significant cut back sufficient, or should we remove the tree? Tom. Well, most homeowners associations have rules that you got to have trees in the yard and things like that. And yes, a root barrier would be sufficient for the foundation and then trim the foliage so that you can get light down into the grass or raise the foliage. You know, a lot of times we let the foliage be too close to the ground and it and it's going to kill the grass and stuff. So if you do a root barrier, trim the foliage and stuff, you'll minimize the effects and the tree can still stay there, yet you can still have protection for the foundation and have grass. And you know, it, it's not just the builder's fault. FHA required trees in the front yard forever. Every house that was built had to have two trees in the front yard and truly that is what started a lot of the foundation issues and and then homeowners associations followed suit and they require trees and stuff so they're still doing things today to keep foundation contractors in business 20 years from now the normal house starts seeing foundation issues when it's 18 years old that's well i shouldn't say that's when they start having issues that's when homeowners typically notice it you may have movement prior to that and just not notice it yet let's talk about the spray foam insulation. This comes from James Inanetta. Uh, he says, says, do you recommend having an existing attic spray foamed 
for insulation purposes. I have plenty of insulation in the rafters, but I'm wondering if I should do the spray foam thing. Having to replace second story air conditioner and wondering if I could get by with a smaller size unit if I did the attic foam thing and if that would be an eventual money saver over the long run. If you are a fan, who would you recommend I get quotes from? I'm not a fan. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you up front, you, spray foam insulation is expensive enough. You will never recoup the money you put into it. And whether you've got spray foam insulation or you've got fiberglass insulation, R49 is R49. The energy efficiency of it does not change. The only thing spray foam will do for you is stop air transfer. Transferring, In other words, you don't ventilate the attic because you're now going to heat and cool it. And if you've already got a lot of insulation on the attic floor, I would not do it. If you've got 15 or 16 inches of insulation on the attic floor, that's all you need. Now, if you don't have enough, you can add insulation for a heck of a lot less than having spray foam put in. And I've, I hear numbers sometimes as high as like seven and eight thousand dollars to do a two to twenty four hundred square foot house, you're not going to save enough on your energy bills to justify that cost. Put the insulation in and be done with it. Just stick with fiberglass insulation. And if you really want to save money in the long run, don't use blown in fiberglass, use the bat insulation because blown in will compress over time. The bat insulation, once you roll it out, you know, it fluffs up, it's there to stay. It never settles, it never changes its R value, and you just plain don't have to worry about it again. So that would be my recommendation. Save your money and don't bother with the foam. Now, if I was building a brand new house, it's not that I dislike foam insulation. Inch for inch, it gives you the highest R value of any insulation available right now. And it stops air transferring. So if I was building a brand new house, foam the walls because you, you've got limited space there. Fiberglass in the attic. Your R value of the house remains the same. The house can still breathe because it can breathe through the foam insulation. So you don't have to worry about having sick home syndrome with molds and mildews and all that kind of stuff. Yet you saved money and had an efficient home. Lee, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Um, I just heard you talking about the root barrier. I have a live oak tree in my front yard. It's about eight feet from the from the foundation. Uh huh. And the house is eighteen years old. I've been in it for ten years. Pretty sure that the roots are going under the foundation. Oh, no time. question. Oh, yeah. I haven't noticed any damage, but. Uh, Kind of wondering if you have a ballpark estimate on how much I could figure to pay to have a root barrier put in. Well, if the tree is a, uh, that close, you're probably going to be looking at something in the range of a 20 or 25 foot root barrier to properly protect the home. So yeah. let, let's just figure 25 foot. Uh, you're probably looking at something. Eleven, twelve hundred dollars, something in that range. That's no, not bad. No. My other question it would be uh, that if you take that many roots off of the one side of the tree, uh huh, 
uh, is it? And the other problem is the other side of the tree is only about six feet from a, a, a retaining wall that's about six feet high. Because my house is elevated up above the tree, uh, uh, street level. Okay. By about six feet, so. So the the, really so no, the, no, the retaining no. wall, the retaining wall that is that close, it goes down, not up. Correct. No, the retaining wall is a six foot high wall from the street level up to my yard. Up right. To my so yard. You, so your yard is higher than the street. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the tree. I'm sorry, I'm sitting out on the patio and an airplane is coming that's, by. <laughs> hey, that's all right. I got no problem with that. Uh, the 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 tree roots will hit that retaining wall, yep. but if the retaining wall is strong enough, it really shouldn't move the retaining wall or do any damage to it. Uh, tree roots are typically only in the top 18 inches. Now, some trees have tap roots that do go straight down and deeper, but the roots that go out looking for water are typically in the top 18 inches. And so you shouldn't have any huge problems with retaining all of that. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.